This episode is brought to you by Redwood Bureau, the newest podcast from EerieCast Network, featuring an agent on the run from an evil organization that risks human lives in the pursuit and capture of supernatural entities. Follow Redwood Bureau on Spotify and leave it a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. It is getting colder outside, and soon the snow will be falling. There is no better time to hear a story about a notorious winter beast. There is an often told folk story in the villages of the Everest region, both on the southern frontiers of Tibet and among the Sherpas of Nepal. According to the story, a Yeti once attacked a Sherpa village girl while she was grazing her yaks in 1974. The villagers found several yaks killed with broken necks. The villagers, after seeing the dead yaks, believed the story told by the girl, that an ape-like creature had twisted the neck of the yaks by grabbing the horns. Because of this story, many people still believe that the Yeti exists. If this story is true, the girl is lucky that the Yeti did not twist her neck, too. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week, we are discussing the legendary Yeti in Himalayan folklore, often called the Abominable Snowman. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Halfway through a liter of Jack, Frank realized that the storm was not going to let up anytime soon. He had been so absorbed in his own anger and misery that he hadn't bothered to follow the weather forecast and had no idea there was a winter storm brewing. It had started snowing just before sunset, and now the visibility was extremely low. He had finally turned on his weather radio, and to his surprise, there was a blizzard warning for half of the state of Montana. He couldn't blame anyone but himself. He had been drowning himself in a bottle for weeks since his longtime girlfriend Beth had run off with his so-called best friend. Well, best friend no more. If he ever ran into that filthy backwoods spud muncher, he would be sure to feed him a load of Montana shoeshine. You betcha. Frank had a serious score to settle with old Joe, the backstabber from Idaho. All of that aside, he didn't have enough sauce to last if he got snowed in for days, and that was more of an emergency to him than making sure the pipes didn't burst. So stepping out onto the front porch, that was quickly becoming slick with soggy snow, Frank yanked the waist of his baggy jeans up before heading to the truck. He heard a whimper from behind him and turned to see his black lab boulder staring at him from the couch. It's okay, old fella. You stay home this time. It's cold out here and you can keep the place safe from the abominable snowman while I am gone. 
Frank chuckled at his clever joke as he closed the door behind him. He made it to the bottom step without a problem, but as soon as his boots hit the ground, his feet flew out from under him, and he landed ass-first on the snow-covered ground. Letting out a slew of colorful curse words, he grabbed the bottom step and then the porch rail and pulled until he was standing again. He never had a problem with walking or driving drunk before, but he had never tried either in a blizzard. Frank couldn't walk without stumbling, but eventually made his way to the truck and climbed in. The old Ford didn't like the cold, but finally grudgingly started and coughed a small cloud of smoke out of the tailpipe. As he backed out of the driveway, his headlights caught movement at the edge of the trees just behind the cabin. He paused for a second and could just barely see tree branches bouncing through the snow. It couldn't have been the wind because the limbs were weighted down with snow, making them heavy, and the thick white flakes were coming straight down, not blowing from side to side. Deciding it was probably just a deer, Frank continued out of the driveway and down the snowy dirt road. The trip to the highway was about five miles, and the snow was fresh, so his four-dig truck made it without a problem. He jumped out of the truck at the door of Woody's gas stop, careful this time not to slip and fall. He was lucky his gravel road led almost straight to Woody's. He never had to worry much about police. Once inside, Frank quickly grabbed two handles of Jack and a carton of smokes and dropped them clumsily on the counter. Looks like you're getting prepared for the worst, said the cashier. His name was Jim, and he had known Frank since high school, so he never gave a fuss about Frank's stumbling drunk liquor runs. Frank just grumbled an undiscernible reply and threw his debit card on the counter. Jim processed the payment and placed the items in a large paper grocery bag and slid them towards Frank. You be careful out there, Frank. It is getting nasty, and the weatherman says it is only going to get worse. Frank just nodded and grabbed his bag and made his way to the door, bumping his knee on the metal doorframe on the way out. Letting out another round of curse words, Frank shoved the door open with his hip and headed back to his truck. The snow was coming down even heavier now, and the wind was starting to blow. Frank made it back to the gravel road, but realized quickly that he was going to have to drive a lot slower. He could only see a few feet in front of the truck at this point. Halfway to the cabin, he got a little too comfortable and began to speed up as his mind wandered on the things that he was trying to wash away with alcohol. Not really paying attention, Frank was startled out of his self-pitying thoughts when something large ran across the road. He slammed on his brakes out of reflex, and oh boy, was that a mistake. The truck, which had been making a smooth trek down the snow-covered road, spun sideways, and Frank had to fight to regain control. When he finally righted the vehicle, he came to a stop and grabbed the old shotgun he always carried off of the back window. He would be damned if he would not at least get a shot off at whatever forest critter had almost caused him to crash his truck. The anger that he just barely kept bottled up came to the surface as Frank jumped out of the truck with his gun and fired several shots into the tree line in the direction he thought the animal had run. As the echoes from the shot slowly faded into the distance, he stood there for a few seconds listening. He didn't see any sign of the animal 
and it was just too cold to go looking for tracks. So with a shiver, he turned to climb back into his truck, tossing the gun onto the seat beside him. He was about to put the truck into drive when he heard a loud boom that jarred the truck. He took his hand off the gear shift and looked around the entire area surrounding the truck. This time, taking his flashlight out of the jockey box first, Frank grabbed his gun again and climbed back out of the truck. He circled it, looking for whatever had made the sound. When he got to the back of the truck, he caught his breath and covered his mouth and nose as a smell worse than skunk roadkill filled the air. The snow was making it impossible to see very far off, but as he was searching the ground, he caught sight of footprints by the driver's side rear fender of his truck. They looked human, but who in their right mind would be barefoot in this weather? Frank remembered the joke he had made to Boulder on the way out the door earlier. He shivered a little, spooked, but ultimately felt stupid. So he said to himself, You stupid ass, there are no such thing as monsters. All you need is another drink. And with that thought, Frank tossed the light and the gun back into the truck and headed home. He had failed to notice the large dent in the fender of his truck. Mythical, hairy, humanoid, ape-like creatures exist in the presumed reality and folklore of cultures around the world. In the Himalayan communities of Tibet, Nepal, China, and Bhutan, the Yeti is this undisputed, mysterious, human-like beast. The Yeti has been described as having a white, shaggy fur and lean, muscular body like an ape and has often been compared physiologically to the American Sasquatch. Both are large and hold structural similarity to the great apes family. Both also have a sagittal crest atop their heads, possess an extremely potent smell, and are said to be as tall as eight feet. However, unlike the Sasquatch, there have been few sightings of the Yeti at close range reported since the 20th century. Much of current understanding of the Yeti comes from the artistic representations in ancient temples and monasteries. Because of this, there are many discrepancies as to what a Yeti actually looks like. Some have suggested that the Yeti is light-colored, to blend in with the snow, and always walks upright. Others believe that the Yeti is smaller and darker, even brownish-red in color, and walks on four legs like a bear, and only stands on two feet when threatened. The people who have lived in the Himalayan region of Nepal, India, and Tibet have believed for centuries that the mountains were a sacred and mysterious place. This is possibly because the Himalayan mountains are one of the most remote and inaccessible locations on the planet. Different cultures in the region have held different opinions of the Yeti over the years. The Sherpas, a mountain-dwelling people of Nepal, India, and Tibet, have an almost uncertain feeling about the creature often using it as a bedtime story to help keep children disciplined. Some suggest it to be a legend intended to instill fear in the minds of young children to prevent them from sauntering off into the wild. And as they grow, the same legend works to bolster courage for them to face the tough conditions of their surroundings. On the other hand, the Tibetans often viewed the Yeti as a creature to be feared 
and it is seen as ferocious in their mural artwork. The ones who see the legend as such a carefully crafted one see the Yeti as a wild animal. Meanwhile, there is still a considerable number who believe the humanoid creature one that can send shivers down the spine. In Nepal, there are stories of Yetis coming down from the mountain to feed off livestock and occasionally terrorizing the local population directly. Of course, these stories may be combinations of many different creatures, cryptids, and legends. The interpretations and translations by Westerners over the years have left the image of the Yeti somewhat confused. It was a reporter for the Calcutta Statesman by the name of Henry Newman who first introduced the Yeti to the Western world in 1921. In an article, he wrote about a British expedition to the Himalayas, led by Lieutenant Colonel C.K. Howard Burry. Newman stated that the party observed figures moving above them at about 20,000 feet. When the climbing party finally arrived at this spot, where they had seen the figures, they found footprints much larger than any human could have made. The Sherpas attending the climb told Lieutenant Colonel Burry that the prints were made by a creature known as the Mito Kongmai, a genetic term used in the region for many creatures, took it for the actual name of the creature. Newman, in his own article in turn, mistranslated Burry's misunderstanding, believing Mito Kongmai was Tibetan for abominable snowman. Consequently, the Western world was introduced to a mysterious creature that captured the imagination and attention of many people. After the story, for decades, expeditions from around the world would travel to the Himalayas. Some would go to climb for the first time the world's largest mountain, Mount Everest, but many in search of the mysterious snow beast. In 1925, a photographer and member of the Royal Geographical Society, N.A. Tombazi, claimed he saw a creature at about 15,000 feet near Zimu Glacier. Tombazi later wrote that he observed the creature from about 200 or 300 yards for about one minute. In his statement, he said, Unquestionably, the figure in outline was exactly like a human being, walking upright and stopping occasionally to pull at some dwarf rhododendron bushes. It showed up dark against the snow, and as far as I could make out, wore no clothes. About two hours later, Tombazi and his companions descended the mountain and saw what they assumed to be the creature's footprints described as similar and shaped to those of a man, but only six to seven inches long by four inches wide. The prints were undoubtedly those of a bipedal creature. In the 1950s, Western interest in the Yeti escalated dramatically. In 1951, while attempting to scale Mount Everest, climber Eric Shipton took photographs of several large prints in the snow at about 19,385 feet above sea level. The photos have long since been the subject of intense scrutiny and debate. Some argue that they are the best evidence of the Yeti's existence while others maintain that the prints are from a regular forest creature that have been distorted by the melting snow. In 1954, mountaineering leader John Angelo Jackson led what may have been the largest expedition in search of the Yeti. It was called the Daily Mail Snowman Expedition. 
Jackson tracked and photographed many footprints in the snow between Everest and Kankanjunga, most of which were identifiable. However, there were many large footprints which could not be identified. The flattened footprint-like indentations were explained away as a product of erosion and subsequent widening of the original footprint by wind and particles. The most surprising find of the expedition, however, was hair specimens from a scalp found in the Pengbochi Monastery. Frederick Wood Jones, an expert in human and comparative anatomy, analyzed the hair. He compared them with the hairs from unknown animals in the region such as bears and orangutans. The hairs were black to dark brown in color in dim light and fox red in the sunlight. None of the hairs had been dyed and were probably very old. Jones was unable to pinpoint the animal from which the hairs had come from. He was convinced, however, that the hairs were not of a bear or ape. He also concluded that the hairs were not actually from a scalp, but from a shoulder. American oil man Tom Slick funded several missions to investigate the Yeti reports in 1957. Later, in 1959, supposed Yeti feces were collected by Slick's expedition. A fecal analysis found a parasite which could not be identified, which could help determine the existence of the Yeti, because parasites are usually unique to their host. Sir Edmund Hillary, in 1960, mounted an expedition to collect and analyze physical evidence of the Yeti. He sent what was believed to be a Yeti scalp from the Kumjung Monastery to the west for testing. The results indicated the scalp to be manufactured from the skin of a serao, a goat-like Himalayan antelope, but some disagreed with this analysis. Shackley, another expert, said that the hairs from the scalp looked distinctly monkey-like and that they contained parasitic mites of a species different from that recovered from the serao. In 1970, British mountaineer Don Willens claimed to have witnessed a creature when scaling Annapurna. While scouting for a campsite, Willens heard some odd cries which his Sherpa guide attributed to Yeti calls. That same night, Willens saw a dark shape moving near his camp. The next day, he observed a few human-like footprints in the snow, and that evening, viewed with his binoculars, a bipedal ape-like creature for 20 minutes as it apparently searched for food not far from his camp. The lack of hard evidence despite decades of searches, does not discourage the true believers. They believe that the fact that these mysterious creatures have not been found is not proof that they do not exist, but instead is proof of how rare, reclusive, and elusive they are. Just like Bigfoot, a single body could prove that the Yeti does exist, but no amount of evidence can prove that they do not. According to an article in Time Magazine written by Tara John on October 28, 2015, the Yeti has captured the imaginations of conspiracy theorists, explorers, and according to the latest post by the National Archives, the American Embassy in Kathmandu, Nepal. In 1959, a U.S. government memo issued by the embassy outlined the guidelines for expeditions, searching for the Yeti in Nepal. The memo was called 
Regulations Governing Mountain Climbing Expeditions in Nepal Relating to Yeti It highlighted what hunters could do, or not do, if they faced the famed monster. According to the document, the permit fee to hold a Yeti hunting expedition cost $77, and the hunters were all allowed to catch or take photos of the creature. All photographs taken of the animal, the creature itself, if captured alive or dead, must be surrendered to the government of Nepal at the earliest time, stated the memo. The only time the Yeti could be shot and killed was in self-defense. The guidelines also state that any report on the Yeti being real had to be turned over to the Nepalese government. The news of its existence must not in any way be given out to the press or reporters for publicity. The existence of this government memo makes the possibility of the existence of the Yeti all the more real. The Yeti is seen in pop culture as a mysterious creature living in a faraway land. It has been represented in many films over the years. In movies and animation, you will find the Yeti in a range of settings from magical fairy tales at Christmas to camping nightmares. Abominable is the title of a 2006 American monster film directed and written by Ryan Schifrin, starring Matt McCoy, Jeffrey Combs, Lance Henriksen, Rex Lynn, Dee Wallace, Phil Morris, Paul Gleason, and Haley Joel. The film follows paraplegic widower Preston Rogers as he moves back into the remote cabin where he and his now-deceased wife once lived. Preston quickly realized that a sadistic yeti is stalking the woods around the cabin, but no one believes him. In 2019, another abominable film was released. This Yeti movie is a computer-animated adventure film produced by DreamWorks Animation and Pearl Studio. It was written and directed by Jill Colton and co-directed by Todd Wilderman and stars the voices of Chloe Bennett, Albert Tsai, Tenzing Norway, Eddie Izzard, Sarah Paulson, Tsai Chen, and Michelle Wong. The film follows a teenage girl named Yi who encounters a young Yeti on the roof of her apartment building in Shanghai, names him Everest, and embarks on an epic quest to reunite the magical creature with his family at the highest point on Earth, along with her mischievous friends Jen and Ping. But the trio of friends will have to stay one step ahead of Burnish, a wealthy man intent on capturing a Yeti, and a zoologist, Dr. Zara, to help Everest get home. The Yeti, like many popular cryptids, has found its way into video games. In the video game Mr. Nuts, the title character goes through a series of levels before meeting his nemesis, Mr. Blizzard, who is a Yeti. Mr. Nuts is a 2D side-scrolling platform game published by Ocean Software. It was released for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System in late 1993 in Europe and in North America and Japan in 1994. In 2006 video game Titan Quest, Yetis appear as beast enemies in Act 3. Titan Quest is an action role-playing hack-and-slash video game developed by Iron Lore Entertainment for Microsoft Windows personal computers. It was published by THQ in 2006. It was released on Steam in 2007 and later ported to mobile devices by .mu and released in 2016. 
If you want to go on a Yeti adventure, you can slip into the fantasy world of numerous children's books or curl up on the couch with some popcorn and watch one of the abominable movies. If you are really brave or just crazy, you can travel to Nepal and go on a real-life Yeti hunt. Just remember, the Yeti is a mysterious creature. It may be shy and docile, or it may be as ferocious as your worst nightmare. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When Frank returned to the cabin, he immediately poured himself a drink and headed for his recliner. He stopped short of the chair when he noticed Boulder was not in his usual place on the couch. He whistled which would usually cause Boulder to come bounding for him, but this time all he heard was whining coming from the corner of the room behind the recliner. What has gotten into you, old boy? You come out of there. You are acting as cowardly as a prairie maggot, Frank said, trying to urge the dog from his hiding place. He finally gave up and let the dog stay behind the recliner. This had just been a weird evening and he couldn't really judge the poor thing for being spooked when he had done spooked himself once already. After all, the wind was starting to howl something awful outside. Frank placed his drink on the side table and plopped down in his worn old recliner. After kicking off his boots, he grabbed the remote. He had been getting ready to watch When Cowboys Were King on the History Channel earlier before the weather had caught his attention. He located the show and was about to hit play when the power flickered a few times and then the house went black. The snow was so heavy outside that there was no moonlight coming in through the windows. Frank took a deep breath and roughly rubbed his face. The weight of the snow must have caused a branch to fall on the power lines. But Frank was prepared. Not only did he have his two big bottles of Jack, but he had a gas power generator in the shed. After his eyes adjusted to the dark as best they could, he inched his way to the kitchen, slowly grabbing the camping lantern from the pantry. The old lamp gave off just enough light for Frank to see where he was stepping. It was one of the first battery-operated lanterns that Coleman had made. That would have to do until he could make it to the shed to start the generator. 
Frank was unlocking the front door when he heard a howl. It was an eerie sound, like a human scream combined with a bear growl. He had never heard anything like it before. He whistled for Boulder again, and this time the dog reluctantly joined him at the door. I am glad to see you found your balls. I thought I was going to have to go out there alone, and to be honest, I'm a little spooked now too, fella. Frank confessed to his furry friend. Boulder just looked at him, with his large brown eyes glimmering in the light of the lantern, ready to face whatever he had to with his master, but not too happy about it. The pair made their way out onto the porch and paused to look around. Boulder's hair bristled and he began to growl. What is it, boy? Is there something out there? Frank asked in almost a whisper. Well, we need the power on, otherwise I'm going to have to carry in some firewood and start a fire. I'm not even sure if that old wood will burn. I haven't exactly stayed on top of things lately. Boulder followed Frank to the shed, occasionally growling as they made their way through the snow. The shed door had started to freeze shut. There must have been some freezing rain mixed with the snow at some point. He managed to get the door open and was relieved when the generator started right up. The house lights flickered and came back on, and as they did, Frank saw something standing beside the cabin. It looked like a man, but it was covered head to toe in fur. He couldn't make out its color, but didn't really have time to observe more, because suddenly, Boulder took off an eight throttle, barking and heading straight for this thing. Just as the dog was about to reach the creature, it turned and ran into the woods with Boulder hot on its trail. Frank yelled for him to come back, but he knew it was no use. He waited for a moment trying to decide if he should go after him, but made his decision when he heard the howl again followed by a pained yelp from Boulder. That was it. That dog was all he had in this world. He would be damned if he would let something happen to him. Holding the lantern in front of him, Frank headed for the tree line, but then turned for the truck as he remembered his gun in the seat. He opened the truck door, grabbed his gun, and turned back towards the woods. He only made it a few steps when Boulder came limping out of the trees towards him. Relieved, Frank ran and scooped him up and hurried as fast as he could back to the cabin. He laid him gently down on the couch before turning to close and lock the door. He had barely fastened the chain when he heard the angry howl again. Frank was more concerned with Boulder for the moment. He looked him over and he didn't find any cuts or broken bones that he could make out. He must have just gotten banged up. He rubbed the fur on his friend's back for a moment and then quickly stood. Frank grabbed the shotgun that he had propped by the door and turned out the lights. He walked over to the window and began to scan the tree line. He wasn't expecting to catch a pair of glowing yellow eyes watching him from the driveway in front of his truck. He stared into those eyes as they stared back at him and then looked at his truck. The creature let out another howl as it placed its fur-covered hands on the hood of the truck and began to press so hard repeatedly that the truck was bouncing. 
Frank could see the hood start to buckle, and suddenly the creature started pounding it with fists making angry grunts and growls the whole time. Frank thought about calling the police, but remembered that he kept his phone in the console of the truck. Apparently, he was going to have to deal with this creature alone. Carefully, as to not draw attention, Frank unlocked the front door and stepped out onto the porch. He raised the gun and was taking aim by the time the creature saw him. Without warning, it turned from the truck and charged towards Frank. Frank got off one shot, but either missed altogether or didn't phase this creature. He dove through his front door just before it had time to reach him. Slamming the door shut, he used the weight of his body to hold the door as he struggled to lock it. The creature hit the door so hard that it almost knocked Frank off his feet, but he managed to stand his ground, and during the ensuing silence, he managed to get the door locked. The silence only lasted a moment, as the thing started pounding and rattling the door. Frank knew after seeing the damage it had done to his truck that it could get in if it wanted to, and was ready with his gun aimed right at the door. But suddenly, there was silence, and the creature was gone. The next morning, Frank dumped out the jack, every drop. He never touched a drop of alcohol again. He did, however, retell the story of his close call with the angry snow beast over and over again for the remaining days of his life. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Unexplained Encounters and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Tune in next week as Freaky Folklore explores the abandoned ghost town of Portlock, Alaska. What is the mysterious hairy creature that sent the people of this town fleeing for their lives? Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. <laughs>